Hello, friends. Welcome to this week's bonus episode of Unboxing God with me, McCall. So, last week we heard from Cassidy and Ryan, a married couple who are dear friends and practicing Stoics. They helped us begin to understand the Stoic philosophy. By the way, if you haven't already, now would be a really good time to go back and take a listen to episode 5. This week, Cassidy and Ryan are back to dive a bit deeper into the four virtues of Stoicism. So I'll be introducing each of the virtues, and then they'll be discussing their application in everyday life. If we were to describe Stoicism in a single sentence, it might be, a Stoic believes they don't control the world around them, only how they respond, and that they must always respond with wisdom, moderation, courage, and justice. Wisdom, also referred to as prudence, can be thought of as penetrating knowledge. It's acting with care and showing thought for the future. Wisdom ultimately informs action. Viktor Frankl said, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In that space is wisdom's opportunity. Recognizing that space is the first step. It's where we either take lessons from our readings and apply it, or throw it out the window and act impulsively and irrationally. Wisdom is harnessing what Stoicism teaches, then wielding it in the real world. As Seneca put it, works, not words. So we're talking about penetrating knowledge. And, you know, when I think of penetrating knowledge, I think of having to learn things the hard way, which is just so my life in totality, (laughs) learning the hard way. But there's something, you know, really wonderful about this, you know, between the stimulus and the response, there is space. There's space. It It means that you don't have to react immediately. You can take that pause and And now just talking about 12-step program and my experience, God is in the pause. If I just put my higher power in that pause, take that breather, take those few seconds to just ask, what now? I normally find my answer. And it, it doesn't have to be that first immediate reaction that I had. Somebody cuts me off on the highway. I can take that pause for myself. I can say, hold, please. You know, let me... Let me get this for a second. Let me just ask what I need to do next. So where does the wisdom come in there? So, you know, if somebody cut me off on the highway yesterday and I I reacted to it immediately, I had anger, I had frustration, I flipped them off, whatever the case. If I go back and reflect on that later on and say, you know, maybe I shouldn't have reacted that way. Maybe I was a little harsh. You know, I shouldn't have flipped them off. And then I decide that I can do better the next time. That's what I call penetrating knowledge. That's what I call wisdom is that reflection time so that I can put myself in that place again and not make the same decision the next time. So then when somebody cuts me off today, now I have that pause. Now I've reflected on that in the past. I've I've done the thing that I did yesterday. I reacted in that way. 
And there's no judgment in that place. It's just what I did yesterday. That's how I reacted yesterday. And I don't have to do that again. So now somebody cutting me off on the highway today, I can make a different decision and I can be confident in that decision because now I've had that time to process through that and decide that I can move forward in a different way. If you seek tranquility, do less, or more accurately, do what's essential, what the logos of a social being requires, and in the requisite way, which brings a double satisfaction to do less better, because most of what we say and do is not essential. If you can eliminate it, you'll have more time and more tranquility. Ask yourself at every moment, is this necessary? Marcus Aurelius, Meditations 424. The second Stoic virtue is moderation or temperance. It's a seeking of balance in our lives. Aristotle called it the golden mean, which explains that this virtue is found firmly in the middle between excess and deficiency. Excess and desires are synonymous with discontent and dissatisfaction. They're a self-defeating impulse. Epictetus said, curb your desire. Don't set your heart on so many things and you'll get what you need. And Seneca said, you ask what is the proper limit to a person's wealth? First, having what is essential. And second, having what is enough. Temperance is the knowledge that abundance comes from having what is essential. The Stoics often use temperance interchangeably with self-control. Self-control not just towards material goods, but self-control as in harmony and good discipline always, in pleasure or pain, admiration or contempt, failure or triumph. Temperance is guarded against extremes, not relying on the fleetingness of pleasure for happiness, nor allowing the fleetingness of pain to destroy it. So we're talking about balance and doing less and having less, right? You know, getting your needs met, asking if this is necessary, and then leaving the rest at the door. So I feel like this plays out in our life in a really ostentatious way. We moved into our RV a year ago and we started traveling the country. We just sold just about everything that we owned, all of our furniture, everything. moved into an RV and lived only on the essentials. And I think it's given us a different perspective on life, right? Mm-hmm. Well, this is a thing that Stoics do. Some Stoics practice this way of living. There are some successful Stoics like Tim Ferriss, who has all the stuff because he's so successful. But every year for a few weeks, he will dress in slippers and a robe and only eat rice and beans with water. And that's it. He would do this for a couple of weeks or a month just so that he can remind himself of what he truly needs in this life in opposition to what he already has, which is whatever he can get. 
does he really do that? Yeah, he does. <laughs> he definitely that. does that. <laughs> that's awesome. And and that's really to put yourself into perspective. So you so you can see where the the moderation is. You can put yourself in either extreme because you don't need all the stuff, but you can have all the stuff. Sure, yeah. You can have abundance, but at the end of the day, if you know that a lot of those things aren't necessary, I think it it changes your perspective. And even living in an RV daily for almost a year, the RV is too big. We realize that the RV has too much to it. If we're talking about what is necessary in terms of what what we do on a daily basis and how we live, how we want to live, we're talking about going van life next because that's all we need. Yeah. You know, in 12 step two, we also have slogans. So we have slogans for this, you know, is it necessary? Is this my top priority for today? Um, you know, in terms of communication, does it need to be said? Does it need to be said right now? Does it need to be said by me right now? And so I think that puts moderation and balance and perspective too. Now let's turn to the virtue of courage. Epictetus was once asked which words would help a person really thrive. Two words should be committed to memory and obeyed, he said. Persist and resist. It's the timeless symbol of Stoicism, the lone knight fighting a war they cannot hope to win, but fighting bravely and honorably nonetheless. It's Marcus Aurelius's struggling not to be corrupted by absolute power, to be a good man even in the face of Rome's decadence and decline. It's the Percy family, the great Southern Stoics, generation after generation, Leroy fighting the clan in 1922. William Alexander giving up bachelorhood to adopt his three young cousins. Walker Percy resisting the rising tide of racism and hatred that consumed his generation, trying to be calm and philosophical through it all, to be a quiet beacon of goodness through his writing. It's Seneca's last words to a deranged tyrant. Nero can kill me but he cannot harm me. Each fight, even if somewhat futile, required enormous amounts of courage. Each required resisting the comfort of the status quo and coming to one's own judgment. Marcus Aurelius could have lost himself in oblivion and power, but instead he resisted those temptations and persisted in a lifelong battle against himself within himself to improve and help others. That's stoic courage. Courage to face misfortune. Courage to face death. Courage to risk yourself for the sake of your fellow man. Courage to hold your principles even when others get away with, or worse, are rewarded for disregarding theirs. Courage to speak your mind and insist on truth. So we're talking about courage and how interesting it is as, as a concept, you know, when, when we're talking about courage, you know, I don't, I don't consider things courageous. I'm just focused on doing the right thing so much of the time. Case in point, when I met my dad for the first time, I 
grew up in a single parent home. I showed up on my dad's doorstep at 19 and said, here I am, where have you been? And I told this story for so many years after and people kept saying, wow, that's so courageous. How could you do that? That was such a brave thing. What made you do that? And I kept saying for years, I've said it it wasn't courageous. I didn't have courage to do it. I just, I needed the answers. I needed to know who he was. I needed to know this other part of myself. I just, I needed the truth in that. And, you know, we can talk about principles. I'm an incredibly principled person growing up in the midst of alcoholism can do that to a person. (laughs) Just become very, very principled. So that in in meeting my dad, it was it it wasn't about bravery. It was that I just needed the truth from that. I'll say too that my mom and I have passed back and forth this quote for many, many years, and it's by Mary Ann Rodmacher. And it's one of my favorite quotes of all time. Courage doesn't always roar. Sometimes courage is the little voice at the end of the day that says, I'll try again tomorrow. Of the four Stoic virtues, Marcus Aurelius said justice was the most important. To him, it was, quote, the source of all other virtues, end quote. After all, how impressive is courage if it's only about self-interest? And what good is wisdom if not put to use for the whole world? To understand the virtue of justice, we've got to look at Cicero. He agreed with Marcus that justice is the crowning glory of the virtues. Cicero introduced the expression summum bonum, the highest good. But more than just an expression, in his time and throughout history, Cicero has been respected for living those words. John Adams said, All ages of the world have not produced a greater statesman and philosopher combined than Cicero. Thomas Jefferson said the Declaration of Independence was based on the elementary books of public right, including Cicero. While Cicero was a Roman senator, and did hold every important Roman office by the youngest legally allowable ages, he and other Stoics weren't considering justice in the legal sense as we often apply it today. For them, it was in the much broader scope of our interactions with and duty to our fellow human beings. It is useful, he says, to consider what it means to act unjustly. Simple anything that inflicts injury or harms another being. For the most part, Cicero explains, men are induced to injure others in order to obtain what they covet. Okay, so justice. This is a big one. Even Plato, who decided to write a book about it, wrote a few books about it, and now it's a compilation of things called The Republic. And if you've ever read that, you know how big that book is. But if I had to summarize justice in just a few sentences, I would say it is doing the right thing for yourself and everyone around you. And that could be as small as you and your spouse, you and your dog, you and your family. And if you have enough influence, you and your community and on and on. 
So to delve really into justice would take us forever. But if we could just leave it at doing the right thing for the people around you, I would leave it at that. You said something really interesting, though, there to to do better for your community if you have what the means available can you expound on that well first of all i if you listen carefully i said you have to do what's best for yourself first before you can do what's best for everyone else oh. so to you have to treat yourself justly by doing the right things for yourself and once you've mastered that then you broaden yourself out right so a lot of people get stuck at the family aspect. I want to do what's right for my family. Mm -hmm. And if you know what you're doing, what's right for you, and you increase that bubble, so to say, to your family, then you can do what's right for your family as well. And what I mean by community is your neighbors. You could do what's right for your neighbors. And if you have more means, you can expand even beyond that and not just your neighborhood, but your district or your city and then your state, and then maybe your country. If that is the ultimate goal is to do what's right for everybody, then everyone should have that same exact goal to do what's right for everybody. So it sounds like we're getting into philanthropy, though. What what does philanthropy have to do with justice? Philanthropy is your contribution to the bigger whole. You, as someone who has garnered enough resources, are able to give those resources out to those who need them. This is, in a way, creating a more just world by giving other people the opportunity to do things that they didn't have, by giving them the resource they didn't have. So is it safe to to say that you believe in altruism then? Yeah, you could say that. It's just what altruism is, is just doing things for the right reasons just to do them for the right reasons and the the counter to that is well you're only ever doing things for your own benefit and that's true there's nothing wrong with doing good things for your own benefit you can give someone money because it makes you feel good there is absolutely nothing wrong with that that is a thing that you need for yourself and you're taking care of yourself in a benefit to someone else who is in need of something. But it almost sounds like it's more than that. Like if if you are doing for your community, if you are doing for your state or for your country or for your world, there is an impact. There is an instance of justice to that because you're doing what's right for your kids, for your family, for the world in which they live, for the, the country or the state in which they live. Yes. In last week's episode, I briefly touched on sympathia, and I want to return to that idea now because it's perhaps the most radical idea in all of Stoicism, the belief in mutual interdependence among everything in the entire universe, that we are all one. And this idea is heavily emphasized in all of Stoic texts. What injures the hive injures the bee, said Marcus Aurelius. In Book 6 of Meditations, he gives himself and us a command to keep an important idea in mind. Meditate often, he writes, 
on the interconnectedness and mutual interdependence of all things in the universe. He's speaking of the Stoic concept of sympathia, the idea that all things are mutually woven together and therefore have an affinity for each other. Now, why should we think about this? What does this do for us? Well, according to Marcus Aurelius, understanding how we're all connected and dependent on each other will prompt us to be good and do good for each other. Marcus's favorite philosopher, the Stoic teacher Epictetus, said, seeking the very best in ourselves means actively caring for the welfare of other human beings. And Epictetus's teacher, Musonius Rufus, said, to honor equality, to want to do good, and for a person, being human, to not want to harm human beings. This is the most honorable lesson, and it makes just people out of those who learn it. This idea of sympathia is such an important one because, well, it's so easy to forget. It's just simpler to think about and care about the people that are directly around you. It's tempting to get consumed by our own problems. And it's natural to assume that you've got more in common with and the same, and the same interests as the people who look like you or live like you. But that's really an insidious lie. One responsible for monstrous inhumanity and needless pain. When other people suffer, we suffer. When the world suffers, we suffer. What's bad for the hive is bad for the bee, Marcus said. To the Stoics, we are all part of the same larger organism. We're all unified and share the same substance. We breathe the same air. We share the same hopes and dreams. We're all descended from the same long chain of evolution. And this is true no matter what race we are, no matter where we come from or what we believe. I'm going to leave you with this entry from Marcus Aurelius's Meditations. If at some point in your life you should come across anything better than justice, prudence, self-control, and courage, then a mind satisfied that has succeeded in enabling you to act rationally and satisfied to accept what's beyond its control, if you find anything better than that, embrace it without reservations. It must be an extraordinary thing indeed, and enjoy it to the full. But if nothing presents itself that's superior to the spirit that lives within, the one that has subordinated individual desires to itself, that discriminates among impressions, that has broken free of physical temptations and subordinated itself to the gods, and looks out for human beings' welfare? If you find that there's nothing more important or valuable than that, then don't make room for anything but it. Hopefully Cassidy, Ryan, and I have helped to provide a little better understanding of Stoicism for you today, and maybe even the ability to act intentionally to do right and live well through gaining wisdom, practicing moderation, living courageously, and seeking justice. 
Be sure to come back next week for a full episode of Unboxing God with me, McCall. I'll see you then. Bye.